Good morning. I am thankful to have the opportunity to share what I've been studying lately. I'm grateful that our elders are going to give me two weeks to cover some of this ground. Um, the title of today's sermon is Of Saints in Fellowship, but that's a condensed title. It would be more communion of the saints in fellowship. Um, today, I want us to consider something so simple that we all participate in, uh, many of us without even knowing or being aware, yet something so important that it touches the very heart of everything that we do. I want us to consider that we are in covenant with one another. Through our union with Jesus Christ. And what that means for us as a congregation, as a church. Our focus text is going to be Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. If you'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, I'll begin reading uh, in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the, the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, <clears throat> consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desire nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. 
for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. In our focus text, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you be with us now. We consider the prayers that we've already heard for the well-being of others for people in the ministry, for the saints of God, for those whom we are in fellowship with, in communion, in covenant. We ask that your word, the explanation of your word, speak clearly to us, that we gain understanding. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In these verses in chapter 10 leading up to verse 24, we are reviewing what Christ has done for us. Redemption is what we have received through the blood of Christ. Through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of the spotless name of God, we have received redemption. We gather with one another from one week to the next on the Lord's Day to be reminded of the greatness, the goodness, and loving kindness of our Savior. We come across verses like Romans 8, 16, and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We have been baptized into Christ. We have put on Christ. We are one in Christ. We are heirs with Christ. And because of this, I can look you in the eye and speak from the heart and call you 
my sister, my brother in Christ. How wonderful is that? There are so many families here. Mothers and fathers can look at sons and daughters. Grandparents can look at their children, their grandchildren. And even though that relationship is precious, those relationships are precious. Those relationships become even more precious when we have redemption, when we've been purchased by Christ. If you belong to him, belong to Christ. My family and I didn't know anyone here at this church until we walked through the doors of this building some six years ago. We came here because of the common theme that we were eager to hear the truth of Scripture taught and preached rightly. The worship of God being done reverently. The regular principle of worship being held to. Because God tells us through His revealed Word how He wants and is be worshipped. The sacraments being held in high regard and spoken of and taught every time the congregation participates. There is nothing done here for the sake of entertainment. Ear tickling and people pleasing is not our focus. Our focus in worship and in teaching is only the triune God of the scriptures. The only audience in worship is God Almighty. We are here for Him. We come to hear from Him. And we come to be heard as a worshipful congregation by Him. Yes, we receive graces and right teaching and understanding. And it is for our good. But more than that, it is for the praise of His glory and His glory alone. Many of you have had the experience of being first-time visitors here, walking through the same doors of this building, looking for that same common shared theme. What we share is what binds us together. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The unity of believers is important. Because of this unity in Christ that we have with one another, it's not just a joy to call our family members brothers and sisters. We can look into the eyes of every professing believer in the room and with a heart of assurance proclaim that you are my brother, that you are my sister. What does this mean for our relationship with one another? These common shared beliefs, this union. Remember our scripture verse for today. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There are two documents I want to reference for today that speak to where we find ourselves with this information. 
The first is our own confession. If you have a little black copy of our confession, please turn to chapter 27 of the Communion of Saints. It's on page 60. If you would like to follow along in your hymnal, you can find chapter 27 on page 685 towards the back of the book. While you're turning there, I want to point out another place where we confess this doctrine. It's within the Apostles' Creed. This is, the one, this is one of those lines that we've all stood up and read, and maybe we just don't realize how much is packed into these small lines. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Chapter 27, if you've gotten there, our confession. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and faith, although they are not made thereby one person with him, have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, in an orderly way, as to conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Paragraph two, saints by profession are bound to maintain an holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God, and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification as also in relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion according to the rule of the gospel, though especially to be exercised by them in the relation wherein they stand, whether in families or churches, yet as God offereth opportunity is to be extended to all the household of faith, even all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, their communion with one another as saints doth not take away or infringe the title of propriety which each man hath in his goods and possessions. I use the outline from Samuel Waldron's modern exposition of the 1689 to help move along in a summary form the ideas and concepts being expressed within these two paragraphs. The first thing we consider is its redemptive foundation, union with Christ. We have just covered through some verses of scripture and a little explanation of this togetherness that we have, this tie that binds those who have been redeemed through our union with Christ Jesus. Let us also consider that we are one with Christ through unity obtained by having been elected by God. Walter writes, in planning to save us, God gave us to Christ as our Redeemer. And two, by our being one with Christ before the law of God. 
Charles Hodge states in his systematic, our legal status is determined by his. That is Christ. Our legal status is determined by his. And his rights, honors, relations are all made ours in co-partnership with him. We would stand in the presence of God, judging us by his law as guilty. But because we are one with Christ, our legal status is determined to be the same as his. This union with Christ is the redemptive foundation of the truth we can hold on to as they are described for us here in these two chapters of our confession. Again from Waldron, everything Christ did and everything he now possesses as the mediator belongs to us. It is this glorious union which is the ground of the communion of the saints and which dignifies and constrains it. If they are one with Christ, then through Christ, they are one with each other. One with Christ, one with each other. That is us. That describes us. Our confession goes on to say, and being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, in an orderly way, as to conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Because we are united to one another in love, we are obliged, that is, morally bound to good works for each other's mutual good in things both spiritual and material. I will read a few references from Scripture that we can quote as proofs for these statements from our confession. 1 Thessalonians 5, Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Galatians 6.10 So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 1 Peter 4 Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a, multi a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So again, we ask, what does this mean for our relationships with one another? Remember our scripture verse for today and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. From these verses, we see we should have patience with one another. We should always seek to do good to one another. Galatians says, and especially those who are of the household of faith, especially to one another, we should seek to do good. We should love one another earnestly, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. We should use our gifts to serve one another as good stewards. These kindnesses, kindnesses are just some ways that we can stir up one another to love. Showing kindness, Compassion, 
concern for the situations and struggles each of us face. Paragraph 2 of our confession goes on to say, Saints by profession are bound to maintain and holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification. What spiritual services could this be talking about? The confession references right away just where we are today in our scripture study. The, the proof text uh, of the first proof text in paragraph 2 reads uh, this Hebrews 10 24. Let us Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here's a stirring I'd like to give some of you now. Over the past few years in Sunday school, we've been covering Paul's epistles. Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. We just went through First and Second Timothy. Um, Titus, if you've been missing out on these studies, you have indeed been missing out on blessings. Over and over in these studies, we see the pastoral love and care from the heart of the apostle that he wishes to express for his brothers in Christ. We learn of the warnings about false teachers. We learn about the preeminence of Christ himself, the goodness, love, and mercy of the Father. We get to see Scripture interpret Scripture when these New Testament writings reveal truth and links to the truth and further revelations than the Old Testament gives. The revelation from God through the prophets being expounded to exalt the Son. Coming together to study the Word is an act of love. Encouraging one another with our presence. The spiritual strength we need comes from the Holy Spirit, from the Word, from hearing the Word, from studying the Word, from prayer. These ordinary means of grace working in our lives. And by our lives, I mean yours and mine. When the Apostle Paul writes that he wants something for us, you and I should both see the value in that. And want the same thing for our brothers and sisters, for one another. Ephesians <clears throat> Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Back to our confession. As also in relieving each other in outward things, according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion according to the rule of the gospel, though especially to be exercised by them in the relation wherein they stand, whether in families or churches, yet as God offereth opportunity is to be extended to all the household of faith, even all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Referencing Waldron once more, communion like charity begins at home. 
but it is not to stop there. Note the biblical examples of offerings given to other churches for the needs. In effort of the church physically or spiritually to assist saints in other places, the individual Christian does not have the right to stand aloof and unconcerned. According to one's ability, all believers ought to be interested, concerned participants. Another thing we've covered from time to time during the epistles, during Bible study, has been good works. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Titus 3 verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Saints, good works begins with what God has done with you and for you. And it is so that you may look at and into the needs of others and help when you can. What are the traits we love about our God and Savior? Loving kindness, compassion, mercy, and grace. Fulfilling our needs, not our desires, but our needs. None of us would argue against the fact that we are called to love our neighbor. This is the second table of the moral law, the Ten Commandments. These are the words Christ used to summarize that second table. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to care. We have a duty to care for our spouse, for our families, for the spiritual well-being, for their spiritual well-being. That is first and foremost, but after that, you should turn that caring eye to the saints that you sit and meet with in fellowship and in worship. The gospel calls us to tend to the needs of others. We all have different strengths, different graces that God has given us whether it be time or a compassionate ear, whether it be monetary or helping with things like meals, advice, guidance, membership, mentorship, not only do you have something to offer to the body of Christ, but you have an obligation to offer it. Not out of a guilty conscience, not out of a nagging sense of obligation, but out of love. Why did Christ Save me. When I do my studies, I'm just I'm, I'm just answering questions. I'm coming up with questions. I'm searching for them. It's like a research paper. Um, and when I wrote down this question, I, I, I stopped. I put my you know I put my pen down. I mean, we we just came through. It's not from a guilty conscience. It's not from a nagging sense of obligation that you are to do good works for one another. Why did Christ save you? Why did Christ save any of us? And there's some good, there's some good answers. For God's glory is one that we definitely would not pass over. But 
for God so loved the world is the one that gave me three hands. Christian, you are called to acts of loving kindness, compassion, mercy, and grace because you represent God the Father, Son, and Spirit who shows you acts of loving kindness, compassion, mercy, and grace. What I wanted us to see here today is the, the why. The why should we be concerned with this stirring up one another to love and good works. The Heidelberg Catechism addresses it like this. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. We have a duty to use our gifts given to us by Christ readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of one another. So what are these gifts? How do we serve one another? Hopefully you've seen it. This church has been very active in being part of one another's lives. Helping each other move, meal trains in times of illness or mourning, church benevolence. What about fellowship meal? Cleaning up, minding one another's children as they run around the building, nursery, gathering with one another for advice, book studies, prayer, if you ever feel that you can't do anything, that you can't participate in anything, that you are hindered by things outside of your control, prayer, praying for your church, for your pastors, for your community. If you can do that, you're doing a great work with you. The communion of saints extends outside of just the body. The confession says, yet as God offers opportunity is to be extended to all the household of faith, even all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Our church donates for missionary work in other countries. We are part of an association of churches. Last week, we had a brother join us from a sister church to preach. We've benefited a great deal from many faithful brothers filling our pulpit. Our pastor has filled the pulpit in other churches. Mutual edification from the like-minded believers, from like-minded believers, is for all of our benefit. Donations to the seminary. Do we understand how great a work they are doing in preparing men for the ministry? As we partake in the graces that God has allowed us, we are also partaking in the work and the workers that God will use to further his kingdom. Dozens of men can touch hundreds of lives and those benefits will expand exponentially and we get to be part this communion of saints, this stirring up one another to love and good works, is our life. We get to be part of one another's lives, and we get to be part of the community of God. I titled the Sermon of Saints and Fellowship because even though we focused on this communal aspect, our fellowship with one another is rooted in our understanding of what we are really doing when we are together. Fellowship doesn't exist when we're getting a coffee or meeting for lunch. 
Fellowship exists where we are loving and caring for one another, where we are seeking each other's mutual good because of our union to the church, which is the body of Christ. I said earlier there are two documents I wanted to reference today, the first being our Baptist Confession. The second is our own church covenant. This document is usually found in a book received in the church's pre-membership class. I know we read, review, and confirm it as a body when someone becomes a new baptized member of the church. But considering this sermon today, I'd like to read it to you now. Waco Family Baptist Church Covenant. Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and angels most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We commit ourselves, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to submit joyfully to the authority of the triune God, the Word of God, and the under-shepherds of God in this church, avoiding all dissension and disunity, to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to substantially agree with this church's confession, and to avoid public dissension in those places where we might differ, to give it a sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin, and through our tithes and offerings, as well as service and prayer, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also commit ourselves to maintain family and secret devotion, to educate our children in the Christian faith, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly with Christian common sense, caution, and wisdom in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our commitments, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from all appearance of evil, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We likewise commit ourselves to conduct ourselves in our homes as Christians. Husbands and fathers will endeavor to lead their homes according to biblical mandate and to love their wives as Christ loves his church. Wives and mothers will submit to their husbands. Parents will strive to train up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord by holy example. Catechizing, consistent education, and discipline, including the use of the rod of correction, children will reverently obey their parents. We further commit ourselves to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, 
but always ready for reconciliation and mindful to the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We moreover commit ourselves that when we remove from this church, it will never be for unreconciled attitudes, relationships, or sin, not while under the discipline of the church, and we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. The communion of the saints. There's a lot there in just those few words. But this unity, this oneness in Christ comes from having been redeemed first, being part of the body. I hope that we can consider and see that our lives aren't just our own. We're, we're not here for the gain of our own knowledge. We're not here so we can learn something and hold it over someone else. We're here because Christ has brought us together and for the furtherance of his kingdom, for the good of his people, our gifts and graces belong to one another. And you know, in, in this study, I, I seek this out much for myself. I'm a very reserved person. I'm, I'm quick to pull away. So this isn't something that comes naturally to all of us. But we're no less obligated to it. For those who are, let me say it this way, everyone is born under Adam and slaves to sin in union with the world. We should want, we should want them to have Christ as their head. We should want them to be slaves of righteousness as the scripture puts it. All are commanded to repent and believe. And I hope that those who are outside of Christ can see something of the goodness that comes from this unity that you can have within the body. More than that, salvation and forgiveness for sin. Our elders are not here this week, and so will not be participating in the Lord's Supper. I'll remind you that we have a meal prepared. Um, and as Pastor Todd says week over week, the food is good, but the fellowship is much sweeter. Um, I'll ask us to rise as we're being dismissed. And for the benediction today, I'm going to reread paragraph one of this church covenant. Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith 
having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and angels most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.